As you may or may not know, we have uh, been meeting online the last four weeks. Uh, when we first decided to not meet in person, to meet online, we tried to explain that in our uh, communications and our online sermons, and now we need to just briefly take a little time out here and explain uh, why we are meeting in person again. Well, in short, once again, uh, things have changed. Here are four things that I believe uh, have changed. Uh, number one, and I'm so thankful for this, to our knowledge, uh, none of our people currently have the coronavirus. Uh, number two, the numbers of infected people in uh, both uh, Rutherford and Bedford counties uh, have dropped dramatically. Number three, yes, I know that the governor has extended the executive order for another month, and that caused a little bit of confusion uh, on our part. Uh, and we have the greatest respect for our governor. Uh, I believe that our governor knows the Lord, and he is doing the best he can in a very difficult situation. But given the current local, state, national, political, and social media climate, uh, I would not be surprised if the governor extends that order uh, at the uh, end of February and then has to extend it again at the end of March and has to extend it again at the end of April. I don't know. I'm not prophesying. But I would not be surprised if that is uh, what happens. And we simply uh, cannot go two, three, four months without meeting. We have got to find a way to meet together. We believe it's that important. And I, I would also gently remind you that the governor uh, specifically exempted churches uh, from the no meeting requirement. He asked us not to meet, but he said, if you do meet, here are some guidelines. He did not command us not to meet, and I'm so thankful for that. Our, our governor is not like governors in other states. So if we choose to meet, and we have chosen to meet, he has asked us to implement several uh, changes to our normal practices, and that leads us to the fourth uh, change that has uh, taken place recently. And you will notice that we're doing everything we can to uh, make changes to increase social distancing, and we are encouraging mask use. And I know it's difficult. Some of you really, it's just hard for you to wear a mask if you wear a mask at all, and we understand that. But all of this is in an effort to reduce the possibility of spreading the virus. Uh, one of the things that would be hardest for us as a church would be uh, if there was another outbreak. And I will say that to date, to my knowledge, no one in this church has passed the virus to anybody else in this church with, with the exception of some family members, and we'll just blame the families in that situation. So those are the four, uh, four changes that... Um, believe that have led us to believe that we uh, should be back together meeting today. So here we are. It's good to be back. Rejoice in the Lord, but no greeting one another with a holy kiss and uh, no hugs. And so just a little reminder, the title of the sermon today is not why we are meeting in person today. The title of the message, however, is the gospel, the glory, the guilt and the gift. It's so nice to get back to a relatively normal sermon and a relatively normal sermon title. Did you notice anything about the sermon title? The gospel, the glory, the guilt, and the gift. Since I'm a Baptist preacher, 
you've already figured out that all four of those words begin with the letter G. But did you notice anything else about those four words? One of those words doesn't seem to fit with the others. Kids, did you catch it? Which word? Which word didn't fit? Sam's a kid. Way to go, man. That's exactly right. Guilt. Uh, uh, Me too, my brother. We will look at what the scriptures have to say about each of these four words. And I trust that today that we will all see that the word guilt makes the gospel even more splendid. The word guilt makes the glory of God even more spectacular. And the word guilt makes the gift of Jesus Christ and his salvation all the more stunning. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would bless us as we read your word, study your word, listen to the preaching of your word. Lord, light a fire in our hearts to understand what you would have us to do. And then give us the courage and the strength and the faith to do that. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. We'll be in Romans chapter 1. We'll be reading uh, several different passages in Romans today. We're going to take a whirlwind tour of the first 10 chapters of Romans. And, uh, but let's start in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. And I would encourage you, uh, if you have time later today, go back and read Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Because that's certainly uh, good and... and uh, And that will help you understand even more the importance of these two verses. Here we go. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ah, what shall we say about Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17? Some have said that these two little verses are the major point, the main point in the entire book of Romans. Others have said that these two verses contain in them, well, they're a little bit like the gospel in a nutshell. James Boyce wrote that these two verses, Romans 1, 16 and 17, He said that these two verses are the most important in the letter. He's talking about the book of Romans. He's saying that these two verses are the most important verses in Romans and perhaps in all literature. They are the theme of this epistle and the essence of Christianity. It was Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. It was these two verses that haunted Martin Luther. It was this passage of Scripture that confused him. It was this passage of Scripture that tormented him. It was this passage of Scripture that confounded him. And it was this passage of Scripture that the Lord used to eventually break through his heart. It was here at the crux of Paul's letter to Romans in this very first chapter that Martin Luther believed And he believed that the Holy Spirit illuminated his mind, his heart, and his soul so that for the first time he truly understood salvation. And he marks this as his salvation experience. Let me read these verses again to you. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew 
and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Some of us are ashamed of the gospel. I'm ashamed to say that I have not always been a fearless champion of the gospel. The world, the world intimidates me. The fear of man silences me. The evil one and his forces remind me that this world is broken and the shadows darken and soon I'm overwhelmed by my own weakness and inability. But brothers and sisters, the gospel is not about me and my lack of power. The gospel is not about me and my weakness. Thank God the gospel is the power of God and is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel of God is the good news that God has sent His only begotten Son to offer us the incomparable gift of salvation. Are you ashamed of the gospel? May I remind you and may I remind myself that the sharing of the gospel is simply the sharing of good news. And everybody needs to hear good news. Because everybody's lost. You may have heard it said, you got to get them lost before you can get them saved. And I would say to you that that is exactly right. A lost man doesn't always know he's lost. And he doesn't know that he needs directions. A lost man doesn't always know he's lost. And he doesn't always know that he's in desperate need. A lost man doesn't always know he's lost. And he doesn't know that he's in mortal danger of losing his soul. The gospel. Which leads us to the guilt. A little bit later in Romans, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Paul says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The scriptures are clear. We're not right with God. We stand charged and guilty before a righteous and holy God. A little bit earlier in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and following, Paul quotes the psalmist, David, and he says, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one understands. There is no one who seeks God's. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. This aspect of our sinfulness, this aspect that we are all sinners, this message does not sit well with the world. The world prefers to believe and to tell you that you're okay. You're going to be all right. Oh, no, you're not perfect. But you're going to be all right. We're all okay. But this message of our sinfulness is straight from God's Word, even though it's not popular, even though it doesn't sit well with us. We prefer to think that we're okay. We prefer to think we're fine. We're not really bad people. No, we're not perfect, mind you. But are we really evil people? Yes. Yes, we are. But it was not always this way. When we were first created by God and we were in perfect relationship with Him, we were crowned with glory and honor. Listen to what David says as he's praising the Lord. And in this psalm, Psalm 8, he hints at our former estate. It's such an interesting psalm because the psalm is directed towards the Lord and it praises Him. But it also tells us 
of how things used to be. David says this, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your enemies in order to silence the adversary and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you hung in place, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. You made him little less than God. You crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. Oh, how we have fallen from where we once were. That uneasy feeling that something's not quite right in the world. The brokenness that you see all around you. The wickedness that you recognize in your own heart. This was not how it was. There was a time when we were crowned with glory and honor. But now we have fallen and we have fallen so short of the glory of God. And here we see that our guilt is a good thing. Our guilt cries out that we need a spotlight to shine the glory of God into the darkness of the world and the darkness in our own hearts. Our guilt drives us to the knowledge that we desperately need to be restored to God's glory. We need the gospel. We need a gift. Have you thought about the horrors of being lost? Maybe you're like me. Maybe you were brought up in the church and you've known the Lord most of your life. It's easy to forget just what it's like to be lost. In 2020, Rhonda and I made a pilgrimage to that great family destination in Missouri, Branson. We took off trusting our ways in Google Maps, and we were doing pretty good until we got to the Mark Twain Forest. And if you've never been lost in the Mark Twain Forest, well, I've never experienced anything quite like it. 1.5 million acres in the Ozarks. Look at a map of Missouri sometime. You'll easily find the Mark Twain Forest. Wait a minute. There's more than one, and they're not connected. It's like Mark Twain is still tweaking us and getting one last laugh at our expense. Wow, we were lost, so lost. Sometimes I still think we're driving on those winding, dark, forested roads as lost, well, as lost as poor old Mark Twain himself was. Being lost was so painful and scary. Eventually we made it out of the Mark Twain forest and the merchants of Branson we're able to breathe a sigh of relief because we were on our way to enrich their COVID-depleted coffers. When you don't know the Lord, life is painful and scary because you're lost. A few years back, Ryan and I took our oldest grandson, Timothy, on a trip out west. We were nearing the end of our trip and we were anxious to be home and I took a look at the map early one morning. We had been in Bryce Canyon for a day. And I saw that we had several options to get back the route we needed to go. One option was the shortest, so I took that, of course. It was the route over the mountains in Utah there. Was I worried about snow? No. We'd been on this trip for two weeks, hadn't seen a bit of snow. What could go wrong? 
And so we enjoyed our trip up to the top of the mountain. Didn't see hardly any snow on the way up. But as we neared the top, I began to notice more and more snow. Eventually, the landscape turned white, completely white. And soon, it was hard to tell where the road stopped and the fields began. And if you've ever been there, you know that that is a scary feeling. And then the whiteout hit. We weren't exactly lost. As a matter of fact, I knew exactly where we were. We were in trouble. Eventually, we reached the top of the mountain. By that time, I was pretty freaked out. I, I, for um, one of the first and only times in my life, I was willing to turn around and go back the way we had come from. I, I don't back up easy. But Rhonda had been watching the road map and the conditions, and she believed that the worst was behind us, and she encouraged me to keep on going. There's a complete role reversal there, by the way. And you know, within 10 minutes, we were all the way down at the bottom of the other side of the mountains. There wasn't a bit of snow in sight. Sometimes lost people know they're lost. Other times, people, lost people don't know they're lost. Maybe not like in a whiteout. It's more like being lost in the darkest night with no light in sight. Christian, remember what it's like to be lost and have pity and mercy on those who are still lost in their sins. The guilt shows us the splendidness of the gospel and it also directs us towards God's glory that we've lost and Then it points us towards the gift. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If there was ever a good news, bad news story uh, statement in the Bible, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 certainly qualifies. I believe that if Paul was here, and Paul said to, to us, Hey, I have some good news for you and some bad news. Which would you like first? Most of the time when someone tells me that I'm about to hear the good news and then the bad news, I immediately begin a calculation. How good is the good news? How bad is the bad news? Will the good news outweigh the bad news? Sometimes I want to say, if the good news is really bad, I mean really good, save that for after you've given me the bad news. Sometimes I want to say, if the bad news is really bad, tell me the good news and don't worry about the bad news. We'll just go on. So Paul might say, the bad news is really bad. And I have to tell you that first. You are a sinner. And because of that, you're going to die. And maybe we, we would say, well, Paul, thanks a lot. You're a, you're a nice ray of sunshine. But I believe Paul would hurry to say, I know the bad news is bad. It, it really is bad. But the good news is so good. I've got to tell you that. As bad as the bad news is bad, the good news is so good because the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The good news is as wonderful as the bad news is as terrible. When Jesus told Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, that was the language of giving. That's the language of a gift. Jesus Christ is the ultimate gift. So we thank you, Paul. I guess your good news really is a ray of sunshine 
that pierces the dark clouds of the gathering storm. The gospel is God's plan to restore us to the glory we once knew when we walked with Him in the garden. The gospel explains our guilt and shows us just how fall we have fallen so short of His glory. The gospel tells us of the beautiful gift that God has sent us, His only begotten Son. James tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. And the best gift, the most perfect gift that God has ever given is the gift of His Son. 2020 was a gift. Sort of. 2020 Christmas was a gift. Sort of. It was not like any other Christmas I've experienced. Both our traditional Thanksgiving and Christmas celebration and activities were scrapped because of the coronavirus. And even as of last Sunday, we had not seen some of the grandkids to give them their gifts. And I'm not talking about the ones in Korea either. It's hard to think of 2020 as a gift. It's hard to think of 2020 Christmas as a gift. But that's what it was, and we're happy with what the Lord gave us. I've been thinking a lot about gifts. I was thinking back, what, what are some of the best gifts I ever got at Christmas? And I have to remember that five-speed screamer bike I got when I was about 10. Man, that was a great gift. How about you? Do you even remember what you got for Christmas in 2019? That was a long time ago. I know I don't. We've been given so much, so many gifts. We've been given great gifts, but all the gifts in the world pale in comparison to the incomparable gift, the gift of God that promises us a return to our former glory, the beautiful relationship of reconciliation with the one who made us, with the one who gave himself for us. 2020 was a COVID Christmas and brought special challenges. Of course, there were the social challenges, the health challenges, but there was another special Christmas challenge that parents faced. Everybody's in the house all the time. How are we going to hide the gifts? I read an article on HDTV on 30 best places to hide Christmas presents. There were really some good suggestions on where to hide those presents, but over and over, the best suggestions return to this one concept of hide them in plain sight. And I thought of the gift of the gospel, and I thought for, for so many, how the gospel is hiding in plain sight. Brother Kevin, how do we find this great gift of salvation? In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says, But God gave his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Be not ashamed. The guilt that haunts us points us to our former glory and that we have fallen oh so short of God's glory. But God has not left us in our helpless estate. The great giver of gifts has given the greatest gift of all. God's greatest gift, His Son, has been given to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Confess that Jesus is Lord. 
Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. This is mighty good news, y'all. If you don't know what I'm talking about, if you haven't tasted his salvation, behold, today is the day of salvation. Trust him today. Talk to Brother Ken. Talk to me. Talk to one of the deacons. We'd love to talk you, walk with you through the scriptures and more fully explain what does it mean to be saved. If you have tasted the sweetness of his salvation, you might want to tell somebody. It's mighty good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that the power of the gospel is salvation to everyone who believes. It doesn't matter what our nationality is. It doesn't matter where we came from. It's there for us to believe. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that you want to restore the glory of our relationship with you. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us guilt to point us to our desperate need for the gift, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us not to be ashamed of the gospel. Lord, help us to treasure the gospel and offer this gift freely to those around us, our family, our friends, our neighbors, those we come into contact with. Help us to share the good news of the gospel, Lord because it truly is the best gift. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.